What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. My name is Gabriel, and I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Happy Tuesday, and uh, welcome to... Is this the first week of March, the second week of March? Are we in March? (laughs) Yes, the second week of March, the first show after Daylight Savings Time. That's That's why I'm confused. (laughs) Yeah, it's, you know, it's like those first few days where it's like, why is it still sunny? It's supposed... And it's like, oh yeah, and... I don't know about you, the first day doesn't hit me, it's usually the Monday and Tuesday after where I'm like, oh man, this does feel weird. Yeah, I think sun- that's right. The I'm... Sunday you just feel like you overslept. Exactly. And that's all, <laughs> you know, so. But yeah, um, Natalie, it is so, Tuesday, March 10th, we are coming off quite the fight weekend. Natalie, I don't know what it is, but it seemed like a lot of unexpected stuff broke. Like, we didn't expect it to be announced. We, we can't even get to everything, but between the fights, which were amazing, between the news, between the aftermath, we have so many things to discuss. So let's get right into it. This week's episode, A Wild Night at UFC 248. Natalie, let's start with the main event. It was for the middleweight championship, Israel Adesanya, taking on Yoel Romero. Um, this one, of all the ways people sliced and diced it on how it could go, absolutely no one saw what we got on, no one saw coming what we got on Saturday night. What were your thoughts on the fight? Well, a couple of things. First, it, it you know, it, it was officially technically the main event, but, you know, no one's going to remember it as the main event. Not and the we'll get to why. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to why uh, probably after this, but. Two, it reminded me of Francis Ngannou, Derek Lewis, right? All this hype, all these expectations. And as you pointed out, nothing that anyone predicted in any way um, came to fruition. It, this, this fight that we got resembled none of those predictions. I, uh, I've been reading and, and listening to and watching a lot of people's reactions to this fight. And people are on either uh, from what i gather it's like you're either on israel israel Adesanya's side or yoel romero's side no one's right down the middle really i was surprised that dana white um didn't bash adesanya the way he he did to tyron woodley when he fought um uh wonder boy thompson that second time you know yeah was very critical of him and with a similar performance maybe even less active israel adesanya gets just praise for you know, doing what he had to do to keep the belt. And, and Dana White says, did you see Romero's leg at the end? You know, he, he was all beat up. Excuse me. I'm, uh, I'm one of those people that, that, that feels like if you call out somebody, especially if you're the champion, you better bring it. And so I was disappointed that Adesanya didn't take some risks. Now people are probably rolling their eyes and saying, why, why should he? Uh, But like, again, you call out somebody, you got to go in there and at least, be a little aggressive, a little bit. Romero's also to blame too. It takes two to tango, right? That's probably the, the best way to sum this up. It takes two to tango. Romero just stood there. What really happened is both of these guys had their game plans and neither of them was willing to deviate from their game plan. And we were stuck with a really boring fight that made me feel like I got cheated out of, you know, sixty four ninety nine pay-per-view. So that's that's where I ended up, is that neither of these guys really showed up. I was disappointed. 
thank goodness for the co-main event. If you want to look at it this way, in boxing, when you buy a pay-per-view, you're really just paying for one fight. So I'm just going to tell myself I was paying for, for uh, Wei Li Zhang, Joanna and Jacek, and, and leave it at that. So, How? Uh, so you're good with, you know, technically only lost thirty two ninety nine. Yeah, technically, exactly. <laughs> if, we're, if we're doing the math like that with our if pennies. We're doing it like that, yeah. With our nickels and dimes. But no, uh, um, what side were you on or were you down the middle or how did you see this all? Uh, so I'm probably going to get, um, uh, look, uh, I completely get what you're saying um, in terms of the mood watching that one, especially after the co-main, obviously. Uh, I'm going to get a little more X's and O's. Um, look, I mean, Romero sits there. I tweeted out, um, like, guys, someone needs to put the controllers, you know, batteries back in Romero's remote control for the PlayStation because, you know, it's like that thing. It's like, um, are you there? Did you go offline? It was quite <laughs> awkward and unusual, but we, I've said this before. It's like you completely get it. This is what Yoel does. He's so big and powerful. He doesn't wrestle the whole time. He doesn't go for broke early. He just conserves his energy so he could still pack a wall up for all 25, 15 minutes, however long he's scheduled for. Round one, I gave it to Yoel. Not a lot, but he had the big counter left hook. Um, Adesanya still kind of looking for his spots, didn't really do too much. One dramatic moment, and it went to Yoel. Round two, I gave it to Yoel also. He had that big count early, then he had that brief flurry. I'd like to point out, nothing landed for these gentlemen. Adesanya looked like he hadn't been in a fight. When you look at the post-fight video, same thing for Yoel Romero. It's just, that's kind of how this fight went. But the activity... The punches that went to the body, not exactly hitting the target, went to Yoel in round two. Round three and four, Adesanya moved around. That's where he really started to run away with the leg kicks. Um, look, I'm not going to disagree with you. Adesanya clearly came to stick and move, find his openings. Yoel Romero wasn't interested in getting into an exchange. He was trying to make Izzy come to him. That's how you get the fight that, you, that we had on Saturday. I'm going to hit you with one. Round five, I watched it back minutes before we went on the air. And honest to goodness, I picked Adesanya. I thought Adesanya won after I watched it live. I scored round five for Romero. For the simple fact that as much as precise and avoiding the damage, I feel that it just did not return fire enough times in that fifth round. That, you know what, by the skin of his teeth, I think that one went to Romero. I think we have, we were supposed to have a new middleweight champion. <laughs> now, uh, I know everyone's going to say, well, to beat the cha- uh, You guys, we go watch the February something episode where I talked about Jones versus Reyes. And I'm not going to go into that. But, by the numbers, that one, uh, man, I scored Romero. Now, look, you know... For the same reason that uh, we probably might have debate in the co-main event, or I don't know, we haven't discussed it yet. We're always let our reactions be fresh, and you know, so we can surprise each other. But for the same reason, I think the co-main went the way it did. I think that the main event went to the way it did. Adesanya avoided a lot of damage. I think that, quite frankly, he hit his mark more times than Romero did, even if it looked like Romero was moving a lot more. Um. Uh, when, when you talk about blame or this and that, stuff like that, um, look, there's a lot on the line. 
If you're Yoel Romero, you know what you gotta do against a fighter like Israel Adesanya. You can't wait for him. You do have to take risks and come after him if you want to take the title. If you're Israel Adesanya, you don't get reckless. You know what your strengths are. You know what his are. And here we are on on uh, Tuesday evening, and that is what it is. Um, I don't disagree with the judge's decision. I know I just said I scored it, but uh, Brett Okamoto said this, and I'll leave it at that. You kind of couldn't get it wrong with a fight that played out with low volume and a lot of stick and moving and damage avoiding that we had in that fight. Yeah, I think ultimately that's 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 correct because... Yeah, I mean, it's like there was so little action that you're just like clinging and desperate to find anything that you can attribute a point to uh, or round to for, for one of these fighters. And yeah, it goes both ways. You call someone out, I'm going to say it again, you call someone out, you should go in there and fight them. However, if you're if you're fighting for a belt, to take someone's belt, you got to go in there and fight them as well. So both of these guys, man, they just... Again, like I said, they had their they had their plans, they had their game plans, and they were sticking to them no matter what. And that left us with an underwhelming fight. My favorite part was that like really cool like genuflect like knee bending uh, move that Romero kept doing. Right. He would like drop to his knee and then pop up. I don't know if I ever saw what he intended to do with that. But, I mean- I'd like to point out, round three, that was a bit of an instructional video on how to land leg kicks from Israel yeah. Adesanya. He was maintaining the distance well. He had a few that just, like a whip, man. I mean, those look, they just look good, plain and simple. Um, before we move on to the aftermath, which is going to be quick, um, Dan Mergliata, the referee at, I think it was, uh, I should have written it down, either before the third or before the fourth, he, yeah. he brings both men in and he says to them, guys, you need to give the judges something to score. We need some action. And, you know, I don't weigh into the commentary because the commentary team, you know, has a specific job. And, you know, it's relaying information and all this other stuff. But I do got to say, when you talk about judging and you want the fight to be scored correctly, right? Everyone agrees with this unanimously? Yes. I understand where Dan came from because if you, let's say they kind of kept the same output that they did in round one, possibly even two. That fight, if you're a judge, is uh, how do you even score it? Because you almost, you know, he's right. You do need more stuff. I do feel like it was a little odd when he kept shouting for action. I will say that. I feel like that was unusual. But when you talk about everyone wants, you know, the judges, the judges have a job too. And Mergliata isn't on the side of the UFC and entertainment. He's on the side of the commission, which, hey, these judges need, sorry, these fights need to have X amount of action for us to make a ruling. Mm -hmm. I don't blame him for pushing for a little bit more, especially when unanimously people wanted it. But I do also think, you know, it's just quite out of the ordinary to see a ref kind of saying, yeah, keep going. That one threw me for a loop. I was grateful that he did it as like a fan. I was like, yes, please, somebody. That's the only person who can intervene, so please do so. But I, I, uh, I hear your point. And um, if he was really doing it from that perspective of I'm on the commission side and like what you're doing right now is giving the judges nothing to score, then 
then I'm okay with it. Um, I mean, it's it's similar to when two fighters are up against the cage and they get separated or on the ground and get separated. You know, the referee interferes either because they're thinking about the judges or because they get swayed by the by the fans, you know, reaction in the crowd. I don't think that was the case here. I think he had a legitimate reason for for being concerned that the judges had nothing to go to go off of. And but, I also uh, like to say we're using probably the word nothing, you know, a little <laughs> loosely. There was, yes. you know, it is you Gabriel, could still nothing. score round. It was zero, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah you, you okay. could still score round two, but I think, you know, in order to make a fair ruling, an uptick in action is going to be what the judges need. Now, not to say this isn't a chess match, especially with two lethal assassins of the sport of mixed martial arts, but this is still a competition with rules, and by the criteria, they do need a little more to be able to say, hey, this genuinely was this and that. Otherwise, nobody's scoring that one correctly, plain and simple. Yep. Yeah. Um, unanimously, it, it's Paulo Costa. If Paulo Costa is healthy, um, July, August, that fight is happening. I don't see another way it doesn't. Um, do you have anything to add to that? No, I loved his shirt. I guess that would be the only the other do thing you, I would add. <laughs> I, I th- do you think I could rock a shirt like that? I'm sorry, but where does he keep finding these things? And he just <laughs> makes them on anybody else. It looks ridiculous, but you know what? He makes it look good. Yeah, I think uh, I think that physique. <laughs> he could wear a burlap sack. He'd look all right. Hey, excuse me. I look like Paulo Costa too. For, <laughs> you just you guys only hear my voice. Whoever looks like him can wear that shirt. <laughs> Thank you, Natalie. No, but um, uh, let's talk about in case of emergency some. Uh, let's say for whatever reason the doctor says that bicep just isn't clear i don't think that's gonna happen let me just say that right now and i am excited for the matchup with him and izzy i think that um after saturday people know exactly what you want and what we will get the next time around should anything happen oh sorry go ahead go ahead should anything happen is jared kenneer gonna be healthy on the timetable because i feel like he's i have to go back i feel like he said he would be but that would be my one thing. It's like, all right, Jared, come on, save the day. Because that's an exciting fight, too, with Izzy. Yeah, it is exciting. Um, I don't know. But either one would be – so I shouldn't say either one. We want Paulo Costa. However, Jared Cannonier will take him, too. I'm starting to think, though, because when is when are they looking at this, you said, for, for uh I have for to month? imagine, like, July, August is what Izzy has thrown out there. Dude, I have a feeling now – that Israel Adesanya called out Yoel Romero with this game plan always in mind and figuring that he would leave that fight relatively unscathed so that he would be fresh for the real challenge, which would be Paulo Costa. And that way he could, you know, well, I mean, obviously Costa was injured, right? So he would have fought him right away, but you could have just sat on the sidelines. Why call out Romero? Because you get a payday, you get more exposure. And if you fight him the way he did, you're, you're basically fresh. So I wonder. Just thinking. Ooh, the conspiracy theories are out <laughs> on in on March tenth, two thousand twenty, from Natalie. That's right. I mean, look at crazier things have happened, no? Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not gonna say you could. I mean, he's clearly a guy who plays chess, not checkers. So who knows? Exactly. But he was playing with fire. If you're, you know, your idea of uh, collecting a paycheck is <laughs> Yol Romero. 
<laughs> I mean, you ask us Saturday morning, is that an easy paycheck? They'll tell you you're crazy. Oh, man. Let's talk about something fun. Let's talk about so that fun. co-main event. A real fight, just first kidding. Off, first off, fight of the year. Did they already secure the bag? Possibly. I think, I think, I think they did. I think they did. It's kind of like um, Izzy versus Kelvin Gastelum almost this time last year. Just how did it's going to be tough with the high stakes involved, the names involved to top this kind of fight? It was so good. Um, go ahead and take it away, however, you want to talk about the co main event. Here's what I loved about it. Well, there's so many things, but to me, the biggest takeaway was how in sync they were with each other. And that's what made it such a beautiful, exciting, striking match. And not even just striking, because Jan Jacek has amazing takedown defense. We talked about it before. But it, it proved itself again. Li Zhang tried to take her down, and she did these really cool trips. Uh, one in the in the middle of the octagon, like another set, a series of trips against the cage right before the bell rang. She just took her down. Joanna would come back up, take her down, back up. But in any case, in sync is 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 what I took away from this. They were just going back and forth. They had excellent rhythm. They were hitting each other. It was like an ebb and flow, and they were also reading each other well. So as soon as they landed something and the other one got caught in a counter, they adjusted quickly and and changed their game plan. And then when that didn't work, they, they adjusted again. So they were both going back and forth beautifully, leg kicks, punching to the face, body kicks, knees in the clinch. It's everything you want to see in an MMA fight. It truly, truly is. And... It was nonstop action, like nonstop. Just when you thought one of them got a little fatigued, the other one would crank it up, and then the the other the opponent would come back and crank it up even more. You know, you had a Joanna and Jacek with that really gnarly forehead hematoma, but we've seen that before from her. That's just her anatomy. That's that's just what happens to her right there in that spot. We saw it with the Laterno fight, and I can't remember who else. It always swells up there when she gets when she gets knocked on it. But this one was the biggest one. All in all, man, it was a true joy to watch this fight. They totally, totally left it all in the cage. I mean, you know, I knew it was going to be a good back and forth, but this was unreal. This is video game. This is video game quality with, like, two expert players. It was it was awesome. No, I completely agree with you. Um, uh, there's nothing I can really add to just the feeling of watching the fight. It was just epic. Um, I think that... That was about what the most optimistic fans could have hoped for. Because if you were thinking Wei Li probably knocks her out or Joanna kind of picks her apart, runs away with it. No, they both brought their game and executed their game plan. And really, it was kind of like uh, two, you know, indestructible forces. They just kind of... its I'll put it this way, to use a video game analogy. It's like... The two characters with like automatic weapons and they just unload the clip <laughs> on each other. And it's like one is somehow declared the winner, even though they both landed a bajillion bullets on the other target. It's just like that. Whaley's um, just uh, destructive output and ability, that really was the difference maker. Uh, Real quick, the the judging, the scores. Did you see it for Whaley? I actually saw it for Joanna. I thought she she did enough to do it. Uh, But I think because Whaley had those, just the heavier hands, I think it made more of an impression with the judges. What did the What did you think? You know what? I had a first three for uh, Joanna. 
I think that uh, I thought that Yoana had it. I think the one that was close, honestly, to me was round one. That was the one before Yoana really got going. They were kind of just still finding their spots. Round three, there was a lot more stuff, but I felt like Yoana just had so much. And that's where she had that late barrage with like the knee to the body, the, the yeah. headbutt when she changed levels. Mm-hmm. I thought that stole that round. And um, I gave her round one, a uh, close round, but I gave it to her. I felt like round two was her. Um, I gave uh, Zhang four and five. Um, and I'll say this. I think once again, you know, Zhang did not match Joanna's output for sure. She did uh, outnumber her on strikes to the head, which respectfully, of course, they. if you're going to land a shot, those are the ones that matter most. But I feel like for the same reason Adesanya got the decision, same thing for Zhang. Even if she didn't land, get to the target as many times, the times she did had the impact. And I think that that's why they gave it to Zhang. If you're talking about the a first, I have to look back at the scorecards, but if they gave her the first round or the third round, on top of four and five, which I think were unanimously her rounds, that's just how the fight goes. But let's make it clear. Both of them were competitive. There was not one round where it was like, oh yeah, that's easily enough. They both landed a bunch of shots. And this yeah. was not a, um, no round was given. Each round was earned, no matter which way you scored it. Oh so. yeah, big time. Yeah, I had, I had Joanna, I, I gave her one and two. For me, clearly, well, again, clearly is like the wrong word to use in this specific fight. But yeah. I gave her rounds one and two. Three was where I was a little... I thought it could have gone either way, but gave it to Joanna anyway. And you point out at the end there why she, why you gave it to her. So, you know, it is what it is. Unfortunately, I, I felt really bad for her though, because I mean, this was a heck of a war. She's mostly in five round fights and this was probably the most brutal she's ever been in. And like, now what, now where does she go? People probably want to see a, a rematch here, but these people, these ladies need time to recover a lot of time. Yeah, well, I'll say this. I think it's going to be similar to like Jones Gustafsson or John Jones Dominic Reyes now. Is Wei Lee has nothing more to gain from another fight with Joanna immediately. However, that there's a lot of room for a rematch to happen down the line. And the Joanna who fought on Saturday night, she can do a lot of damage to a lot of that uh, strawweight division. So I completely don't rule out her ability to work her way back. It's just not going to happen immediately. And I think that um, if you're Joanna, you know that. And I think everybody should probably prepare for that. There might be a few odd matchups because let's be honest, she kind of fought everybody in the top 10 um, and won, mind you, besides Whaley and Rose. Uh, Tatiana Suarez has to come back sometime. Yeah, that's like, the only one. I feel like that's the one we're going to discuss soon. But um, that that's the obvious outlier. There's options for Joanna. You might just have to get creative with it at the end of the day. Um, for Wei Li, uh, I, I will say this. I think that in terms of UFC and everything, this was probably the best scenario they could have wanted because now you have a star who's just taken out Jessica Andrade in brutal fashion. Had a, you know, this only raises your profile. I mean, they were talking about her on like the ESPN shows um, last night. I was watching them. This raised her stock. I gotta think that UFC is hoping Rose Namajunas takes the rematch with Jessica Andrade next month. 
because Rose versus Zhang is easily the next biggest fight to be made. I'd argue it's kind of like Adesanya versus Costa. There's just so much, not for the rivalry, but just for the run, the characters, the styles. It's such a beautiful fight. It's not a gimme for either woman. And really, if Zhang takes out Rose Namajunas on top of everything she's done, I, I really don't know. I mean, obviously, I'd say, look, Tatiana Suarez is still undefeated. But if she has another fight, you know, either like the Jessica fight or like the Joanna fight, I might say, you know what? Just let's talk Shevchenko now. This was this fight was that good in terms of raising her stock, in my opinion. Yeah, if she beats Nama Yunus, if that fight gets made, then then definitely we can talk Shevchenko, like hundred percent. Now I I will say this: I don't want to count out Jessica Andrade. And also, that would obviously lead to the conundrum because it's like, well, are we going to do this again? And I'm, like I said, I bring up Tatiana Suarez because, you know, I'll say this when you get the Modelo treatment, UFC has, you know, long term goals for you, to say the least. And I really feel like a matter of circumstance, that fight could materialize for her um, over Jessica Andrade should she beat Nami Yunus just because of the way. All the cards are dealt in the strawweight division as they are currently. Obviously, a lot can happen. Obviously, also, Zhang may need a while just to ice down the body. And by all means, you want to take a couple weeks off, you go for it. That was quite the war. Yeah, I think more than a couple weeks for sure, man. Yeah, it was quite a lot. Um, if it doesn't win fight of the year, it means we had a fantastic year in mixed martial arts. That's how good it was. Uh, yeah. I want to talk about, uh, real quick, uh, the Benil Dariush knockout on Drakkar Close. Did you see that one? I haven't seen it yet. Full, full gotta, disclosure. I have not seen it. You gotta watch that replay, man. That was probably one of the more fun finishes of the night. Um, I just really enjoyed that one. I'm glad it's getting its attention because that was unexpected from Benil. So, back and forth, you think Close has it, and then Benil... Known for being the grappler, starts throwing some hands like he's Cody Garbrandt and just takes him out of there. Very fun to watch. Yeah, I was surprised that when I saw the the outcome, like you know, the red that he had won. I because I really, I really thought that Drakkar Close was just gonna like you know finish him, and that was gonna be probably the beginning of the the end for Benil Darius's career. But lo and behold, man, you never you never count anybody out, Natalie. And MMA, you can't put disrespect on you you put respect on his name i sure, mean what, yes what, you watch that highlight you're gonna tweet him and apologize <laughs> that's how good it was oh man that's great so natalie three nights ago brian ortega had a choice <laughs> to stay in his seat and let business operate as usual or confront jay park and by now, I think we know what he chose. I mean, um, Okay, so for people who, if you truly don't know, the Korean zombie went on Ariel Hawani's show several weeks ago, four, and he had a translator, um, a Korean platinum-selling recording artist named Jay Park, who also, you know, was fluent in English, and who served as Korean zombie's translator. On Ariel Hawani's show... Park translated for the zombie that they thought that zombie thought that Ortega was running from the fight and was ducking him. 
after which Ortega said, welcome to the fight game, Park, not the zombie. He has never taken a shot at the zombie. Park, and said, if I see, essentially, if I see you, don't be surprised if I slap the explicitive out of you. Well, on Saturday night, allegedly, Brian Ortega went up to Park while the Korean zombie was in the bathroom, asked, are you Jay Park? He said, yeah. And Brian Ortega put hands on Park. And here we are. And now, so to finish setting the scene, Jay Park said he did give a statement. He doesn't intend to press charges, but that is still his choice. Brian Ortega issued a statement, then deleted it, saying that Korean Zombie had signed with the management company that Park is the owner, CEO of, and that he believes, very bluntly, that Park was pulling the strings of what to say. Park said he has only ever translated for the zombie, while he encouraged him to be more outspoken. He has never told the zombie what to say. He claims that is all from Chan Sung Jung, what he said on the interview. So, Natalie, thoughts? Because I got nothing. <laughs> so, I watched the interview that Jay Park did with Helwani. I guess it was this week, yeah. Yep. And um, my biggest takeaway from that was, this seems weird. At first, he denies doing anything, you know, shady. But, but then when you really listen to what he's saying... He keeps saying that he was kind of just trying to pump up Korean Zombie. He's like, I was just trying to pump up the fight, trying to pump up the fight. And he, he only mentions this once, but he says, Korean Zombie accused Ortega of pulling out of the fight, and I translated it as ducking or Korean Zombie. Now, that is a, and if that's true, that is a big difference. So yep. the question now is, and Jay Park has this question too, is why was just this translation enough for Ortega to... Um, oh, I'm sorry. Why was uh, at the time Jay Park saying Korean Zombie is telling me that you're ducking him enough for Brian Ortega to go slap Jay Park? My only guess is that Brian Ortega has a friend who speaks fluent Korean and told him, "Hey, that's not what Korean Zombie said. This guy is making stuff up. This Jay Park guy is saying that you're ducking uh, Zombie instead of you know what the Zombie's actually saying." Why else would you get so mad at somebody? And even if that's how what happened, that somehow Brian Ortega got a proper translation of what Korean Zombie told Errol Hawani, even if that's true, like, really? <laughs> You're going to go over there and slap this guy? And furthermore, it is kind of, kind of, kind of, uh, I'll use shady again, kind of shady to, to, to wait until Korean Zombie goes to the bathroom to do it. It's like, it's kind of a little of a low blow there. And why not just use words first? I guess because he already threatened that he would slap him over the internet. I don't know, man. It's super weird. It's a little bit unnecessary. Do I want to watch the fight more now? Yeah. So I guess it worked. <laughs> but it's silly, mostly. It's silly. It's silly for for this this gentleman if what he really did was, you know, choose to interpret Korean Zombie's words incorrectly. That's that's silly. But for Ortega to react that way, it's even more it's even more silly. It's just dumb. I yeah, I, I really the first thing I thought is somebody's lying, either Brian or Park. And um 
like you said, the translation for Park, if he really phrased it so much differently, I would. that is a lot of reason to take offense to it. I'd like to point out, though, I mean, uh, look, I know people are going to roll their eyes when I make this comparison. Have you not seen when, like, Floyd Mayweather, biggest combat sports athlete star of the last decade, is walking out there with Justin Bieber? And it's like, dude, it's like, what is that? It's just like, you know, and the the team says whatever Mayweather's gonna, you know, do work in not so polite language, et cetera, et cetera. People don't take it seriously. It's like, oh, he's bringing in whoever. Um, and look, I understand to us here in the, you know, Western Hemisphere, Jay Park isn't Beyonce. He's not Kanye. You probably didn't know who he was until today or this week. Um, I, I get it, but this is a guy, you know, I think a celebrity in his own right, even if not necessarily known here in the U.S. to uh, uh, the majority of the casual fan. Um, and you just, uh, you take an offense to this. And I, I want to give Ortega credit. In his statement, he did say that Zombie told him that this was management telling him to talk trash to promote the fight. That And he apologized and said, me and Zombie are all good. Um... I, I guess it goes back to the thing. It's like Brian Ortega. You're the, you're the guy who had a choice. Yeah. And you're telling me this pissed you off that much. Cause then I feel like, okay, either you think he is lying and that he did in fact tell zombie to say these things or do these things in which case like, okay, that's one thing or two, you know, it, it's just like, there's no reason to go after a pop star. You you win the fight, Brian. And I think that's where a lot of people's confusion is coming in to this situation. Now, I would like to say this. I would like a com- uh, maybe more than one completely unbiased person to please translate what the Korean zombie said. Yeah. And please let us know if it can be taken out of context because obviously uh, any language to English isn't always 100% exact. Um, not you know, there's plenty of stuff that you could get, but let's get some opinions who don't care who zombie is or have a horse in the race. And I say that's the only way you're really gonna get the truth, because otherwise it's a lot of he said he said, and it's with two very unlikely characters. I mean, think yeah. about that. There's somewhere someone is saying, um, Jay, you know, in Korea, there's a newspaper out there saying Jay Park assaulted by American cage fighter. Yeah. Think about this, people. Yeah, it's true. Um, and it's like, if it, even if that it's, uh, you know, because Zombie apologized to, to Ortega. Okay, fine. But no, Zombie wants blood uh, from Ortega. Well, now he does. Now he does, right? Because the guy slapped his, because Ortega slapped his buddy. But beforehand, like, why would you be upset if a manager, let's just pretend that Jay Park or, you know, I, I don't know if it's, confirmed or not is in a sort of managerial role with the zombie like why would you get so upset if a manager is telling their fighter to hype up a fight like what's the what's the why take it so personally that's what i don't really get yeah it was it was just quite a lot um look uh, it could just vanish into the ether and just be a wild fact from a wild night but the fact is that that happened and it's just so Put it this way, you know when we have our end of the year awards and yeah. we talk about the most WTF story? <laughs> right now, this is number one. 
Just, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's only March. We got a lot of time. I know. I was like, wait a minute. Didn't we already have a, one earlier? But I can't think of what it was. <laughs> you can get back to me next week and tell me what it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was quite the week. Um, and obviously, it was a wild night at UFC 248. Um, a couple hours, be- sorry, a couple days before that, at least 24 hours, you had the first confrontation for this latest booking of Tony Ferguson, Habib Nurmagomedov. Um, Natalie, it was a lot of fun. It was certainly very unique. What were your biggest takeaways from their little encounter on Friday? Yeah, it was way more exciting than I expected. I don't know why I had in my head that Ferguson, Tony Ferguson was just going to come out and be like really chill. <laughs> I don't know why, but he put on a beautiful show. He got me super excited for this fight way more than I already was, which can you believe it? Cause I think everyone's just like at maxed out on excitement for this considering it's the fifth, fifth, the fifth try here. Yes. Um, but I, uh, I, <laughs> I love Tony Ferguson's attitude. I love how he was just super like, a, a, a not aggressive, but you know, very, fired up he was hyping him he was like you could just feel his energy he was ready to get in there he wasn't pulling any verbal punches which i like he was trying to get khabib's goat but not in a phony way like you know he was (laughs) he was doing it tony's way um but the thing that really sort of confused me and i think it's just maybe um a cultural or like you know just not being or you know living in america for long enough but Khabib and the whole fake Mexican thing like he couldn't understand how Ferguson Tony Ferguson with the last name Ferguson had any you know connection to Mexico or anything and he he was really jumping on that like he he couldn't shake it he couldn't get it out of his head that Tony Ferguson was saying he was Mexican and he's calling him a liar and stuff so that to me was hilarious Khabib just look at him man Look at him. I mean, look at him, and like it's. I don't, I don't want to stereotype like that, but uh, every now and I mean, then you gotta just say the obvious. Use your eyeballs, yeah. And it's like you know, it's called ancestry. Like you, you can be American and other we, things too. We, we get it. Yeah, yeah. It was just funny to me because he was so bothered by that. He was like, Mexican? You're not Mexican. Anyway, that was the funniest thing for I me. I think so. the, the street fight thing was the odd one. Oh, it's that like, too. Yeah, the, that's when he called him a liar, right? He's like, yeah, you've never like, been in a street fight or something. I'm sorry, but you know Tony's been in a street fight. Like, of course he has. And Khabib's like, I'm from has, the mountains. Somebody has done something like go up to that man. And yes, uh, Habib, we know you wrestled the bear. And we get it. But I mean, dude, it was funny. That, yeah, it was a weird hill for him to... I don't want to say die on because that impl- implies you're losing the fight, but it was, it was a weird avenue to pursue. That's Khabib, though. He gets really, like, he he can become really narrow and, like, super focused on one thing that you say, and, and he cannot shake it. And he's going to just keep pressing you on, why did you say this thing? And why did you offend this person? Like, you know, he gets very, very tunnel vision with stuff like that. So, you know, <laughs> that's I, 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 I want to say this. Last year, or sorry, maybe the year before, um, the Connor Habib press and the lead-up, we, we all remember it. We all get how it was, how bad it got. In relation, mind you, they didn't exactly say nice things uh, on Friday either, but I think that it was more two alphas looking to assert it, whereas let's be honest, that Connor Habib press conference, that was personal. That was, you know... Like, put it this way, that there were lines crossed. Not to say it was the worst ever. There's plenty more, but 
man, that that was uh, I I like the difference because yeah, I feel the, like it was a little more better done how it should be, um, to say the least. So yeah, it was I more was fun and entertaining for sure. And the the Khabib Connor press conference was extra weird because there was no crowd, and so Connor came in expecting to feed off of of of, of an audience. And he wasn't getting that feedback, and he just kept getting louder and louder, like physically, like, you know, like his voice, and like emotionally, he was just kind of starting to like lose it a little bit because there was there was nothing to for his for his jokes, his insults, nothing for them to bounce off of. So that was yeah. like just very unique. It was, but um, you know, plain and simple, I think it was successfully done. I think that um this is for Alpha writes, this is to be the top dog, this is the king of the jungle, the bear of the mountain. Pick a metaphor. This is for all the marbles, plain and simple. I love it. And I think that they get it too. And I think that's what was most important. Also, I would like to point out, because you're, you know, we're, we're only having positive thoughts about this fight. But who was it? Was it one of the reporters that asked about... Um, you know, Connor being ready to step in, and even Dana White was like, "Shut up, that's a terrible question," because <laughs> he doesn't even want to jinx it. Yeah, was that John Morgan? Or was that Mark? I think Ramondi? it was John. Mor- I think it was John Morgan. John, John, come on, man! Don't, don't <laughs> put that on us. Anyway, um, yeah. Well, we're gonna. I'm gonna bring up an interesting one because it's the elephant in the room, but we're not there yet. Because I want to talk about more positive things, please. Such okay. as Amanda Nunes is officially fighting Felicia Spencer, May 9th, UFC 250, the co-main event to Henry Cejudo versus Jose Aldo. Um, Natalie, it's only been uh, 10 days, my math may be wrong, since Spencer got the first round uh, finish in Virginia, and she's stepping into a title fight against arguably the women's GOAT. Thoughts? Well, it had, to, in my opinion, it had to be her, and then... You know, more importantly, there were only really two options. So if it wasn't her, it would have been Megan Anderson, and and everything still would have been right in the world because you just needed to to feed someone to Nunez because she needs to fight. Not that I think, you know, Felicia Spencer is dinner for Nunez. I actually like her chances. She has um, she's young and smart and and always learning, and the the physique. I think it's going to be. You know, we'll get to it in May, obviously, to break it down. But I think she's got the right build to withstand some uh, some some of that Nunes punching power better than than everybody else has 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 done so far. Yeah, I think that um, you know, and we like, I mean, we literally just talked about this, right? Yeah. Um, with uh, Amanda, uh, I mean, with sorry, with Felicia, I think the biggest thing is that when you compare her to Megan Anderson. I said it. She gets the tie break because she got the win over Megan already. Um, I like Megan's performances. I still think that would have been a fun fight. But I think at the end of the day, they weighed the fact, the grappling of Felicia Spencer and that avenue. As well as the fact that, yes, she did survive 15 minutes with Chris Cyborg. You can sell her durability and her ability to stay in there with a heavy hitter who's still got a lot of fire and all that left in the tank. So I think that that's why the Felicia Spencer fight came together so fast. Had she looked poor or something like that, probably would have been a lot tougher of a sell. But I think that all of the... They were able to check off all the boxes um, when they when you incorporate her latest first-round finish over Farron. So yeah, I think that, that was just it. 
Um, like you said, we'll discuss it more in detail, but I think it's, you know, my point is that's why it was the easier sell, even though Megan had two good performances leading up to this one. And yeah, um, so Brazil gets, uh, that card is sneaking up. It's got a very good double header at the top. I think it's good news. <sighs> okay. <laughs> uh, so you know why I'm sighing loudly. Yes, I do. I do. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> My next story. Our next story. The world's uh, current story. The coronavirus. Which I, I think it's safe to say, even though there were rumblings last week, um, was nowhere near the forefront of everyone's attention that it was, even as late as uh, Wednesday last week, um, after our show. And so let's say very bluntly, everything from Coachella, the South by Southwest, there's the tennis tournaments, NBA, the NBA is talking about holding games um, without fans behind closed doors, if not canceling altogether. Uh, in MMA, Combate Americas has said that they are they canceled several events and they're going to move them to indoor uh, studio, TV studios for broadcast in April. Wow. One championship moved an event. Now, mind you, they were in China. And mm -hmm. um, they moved it to a closed door uh, arena. KSW has announced changes. They had a pro wrestling show. I think it was in Japan. They had all the bells and whistles except for fans, and that <laughs> is happening. Coronamania, coronavirus is a very real thing. Um, please wash your hands, ladies and gentlemen. Um, before I get to my point, I'd also like to say that if MMA starts getting canceled, we have a lot bigger problems than just the fact that we're not going to see some fights. And I just want to say that is number one. <laughs> Like, yeah. if, that, if we get to that point, we're all in a lot more trouble than just the fact that we're not going to see X, Y, Z. Yeah, you better, uh, you better have some uh, yeah. get your Kansas Chef YRD ready and, uh, and yes. some batteries and flashlights. Yes. You're staying so, in. <laughs> so, obviously, the UFC is probably the one to watch. Not that Bellator doesn't have fights to, you know, be concerned about, but the UFC has a very stacked schedule. I'm not, I don't got to say the obvious. Everyone has their eye on what might happen in Brooklyn. Um, do you believe the UFC would hold events without fans or would they cancel events altogether? I don't think they would cancel events because that's way too much. Um, that's just not fair to the fighters who have, you know, especially, okay. They certainly wouldn't cancel a fight if it was like, days before because that's not fair all the fighters that have been preparing and all this stuff getting their bodies ready and it, it especially for the pay-per-views it's going to throw everything out of whack so i don't think they would cancel fights i don't really think they would hold events without fans unless like the nba actually follows through with with their you know consideration and and starts doing the same thing like i think the ufc would would wait for a uh, an entity bigger than themselves in sports before to um, to uh, hold an event without fans before they did it. So I mean, LeBron says he won't play if there's no fans. So I don't know if the NBA is really going to do it. So I don't think the UFC is going to do it. Um, but let's just say, you know, they they uh, they're feeling like they need to be setting an example or something. Uh, it could be interesting to do one in a in the studio, like a contender series type setup, you know, but without fans. 
at all without anybody in the in the apex. Um, could be interesting, a little weird, kind of like watching a, a sitcom without an audience, without a laugh track. But, um, you know, this is like such a strange time right now where half the country believes it's it's like a really serious problem. And the other half is like, well, it's not any worse than the flu. The flu kills more people. So these kinds of things with these big companies making these drastic decisions, I think, is going to be more a matter of, you know, the company saying we don't want to be the only one not doing it then more than them actually feeling they're putting people at risk. So more like a peer pressure type thing. So again, if, if, if a, a bit, an entity, a sports entity bigger than the UFC does it, maybe you'll see the UFC do it. Um, very great point. And, um, you'd bring up a lot of larger issues that are, you know, very valid and worth discussing. Absolutely. Um, I will say this, when you've seen the scope of events that have pulled, I don't, I think anything goes, like when you talk about how much money's in Coachella and Stagecoach together, the, you know, you can't understate the money that people are, you know, this is how big it is affecting, you know, people, right, and companies. I want to say something to the logistics of it, because let's say the NBA, for example, has a closed game. If you have the Lakers play the Celtics, all of the Lakers live in Los Angeles, roughly, right? How do they get to the Staples Center? Okay, you know, for, uh, either from their home or from the training center uh, outside, they get shuttled into the, you know, to the arena. How does a team travel? Well, private charter, private plane, private bus to the arena, to the hotel. All stuff that can be monitored and kept clean, right? Yeah. When you're talking about MMA, look at hypothetically Tony versus Habib and everything else. You got Tony's in SoCal, Habib's in NorCal, Rose Namajunas is in the Midwest, Jessica Andrade is in Brazil. That's just with your top two fights. Now you're logistically talking about getting all of these people to the same venue. The control of that, look, very bluntly, teams don't have too many people with them. You're talking about now essential personnel, right? That's a phrase that I've heard thrown out there. Logistically, when you talk about the risks with travel, I think this is where it really comes in for the UFC, is that UFC, the fighters are at much higher risks because they're not all in one place going to one venue. They're coming from a lot of places to, you know, whichever city that the event is being held at. By that note, I feel that, look, there's obviously a little bit better... If you're going to have an event, contender series, you control the venue. Also, I want to point out the point that it's not necessarily always up to the UFC. If the venues themselves are like, we're not doing anything. If, you know, uh, the TD Garden in Boston says we're not having events. If the Staples Center says we're not having events. That's out of UFC's hands, no? Yeah. So there's a lot of these other factors to be involved. That is why I hate to say it, but I feel like for the sake of being realistic, because of the travel, I think that you cannot rule out the idea of canceling because of the fact that look how much is involved to ship all the fighters from said cards, even just to Vegas, to the Contender Series gym at the Apex. That makes it a lot harder, and I'm not going to lie. There's reason to be concerned. 
But, yeah, the CDC know. might step in and say, uh, hey, actually, UFC, uh, we're not going to let you fly all these people in from, like, every part of the globe. <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's the big difference. It's like compared to your, you know, the football teams, basketball and baseball, that's something that you got to really got to talk about. It's not just everybody's on a private plane that you've kept clean. So Excellent point, man. Hadn't thought about it. Uh, we'll see what happens. I didn't like that I thought about it, but I realized... <laughs> Dang it, I'm right. (laughs) Now, I'd like to point out, I fully believe these fights are going to happen. I do believe that there are contingencies being placed, especially on the big fights coming up. How could there not be? At this point, you have to imagine these conversations are being had. And I have full faith that people will get their MMA action. I'm going to leave it at that. All right. Now... This is a very stacked weekend in mixed martial arts. It is a, you know, not a double header because they're on separate nights, but it is a stacked weekend. Bellator on Friday. Featherweight champion in the Grand Prix, Patricio Pitbull taking on Pedro Carvalho. That card also features another Grand Prix fight, Daniel Weichel versus Emmanuel Sanchez. And you get a Paul Daly and a Nick Newell fight in spare change. That's a very fun Friday. I'd like to point out that is a stacked lineup. Obviously, they also had the Bellator um, event announcing the, I want to say it's in um, May in uh, Chicago with Patricia, not Patricia Pitbull, sorry, but Michael Chandler. And you got AJ McKee going to Chicago. It's a very fun time in Bellator. I like it. I like this Friday's card. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I agree with you. I was just looking at, looking ahead on, for Bellator and... Uh... Their uh, their May San Jose card is looking pretty uh, pretty exciting too. Yeah, so it's a good one. Um, I will say this: I think all eyes are on the Pitbull to deliver better than the Juan Archuleta fight. I think that one, you know, when you knock out Michael Chandler in under a minute, you kind of want someone to set the bar again higher. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some of that pressure on Pitbull going into this one. What about you? I think there is, and I think Carvalho, Carvalho, Carvalho is more likely to, to, to just kind of bring it. To engage. Uh, yeah, not not that Archuleta wasn't, but he called out Pitbull. You know, it's like I think the stakes were, even though it's all the same tournament, the stakes for him were a little bit higher. Um, this is you know the next round, so I think we're going to see a, a little more of a of a scrap, honestly. No, for sure, and I'm excited for that one. That one's in the, the Mohegan Sun, so, you know, kind of like home base number two for Bellator, if we're being honest. Yeah, they do. They they actually, I appreciate that. They seem to go to the same places, like, very predictably, very regularly. Um, and this is one of their spots, for I sure. Have, I have a feeling it's a contract thing, but yes, loyalty is still important. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, of course, they're so loyal. <laughs> Hey, let's just say that doesn't make it less important. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, let's uh, move on to some more fun one. Interestingly, when we're talking about travel, UFC, sorry, UFC Brasilia, Kevin Lee taking on Charles Oliveira. We mentioned this one. This is a fun matchup. Uh, Charles, he's been in the UFC forever. He's kind of always been that guy, go on a run. Uh, setbacks, rebounds, setback, you know, just been at the game. He's fought so many big names. And you're talking about Kevin Lee, you know, he was kind of having a bit of a skid. 
and then one knockout over Gregor Gillespie and everyone's ready to just see whatever he's going to bring next. It's such a fun fight. Talk to me about this one. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much all that's on my mind is is thinking about this fight is really just thinking about Kevin Lee and how is he going to look? How is he going to perform? Because as you said, he was sort of high low. He went up to welterweight, came back down. And the tragedy with his coach, he found a new home, at least as, as far as a head coach goes, a guiding force in Farah Sahabi. And he looked amazing against Gregor Gillespie, not just before that crazy, crazy knockout. But he, he looked super focused. He was employing that low stance, sort of, you know, very clearly fighting to his opponent, fighting, you know, fighting specifically for his opponent, I should say. So that's all I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about what the heck is Kevin Lee going to look like on uh, on Saturday? How is he going to perform? I think that he's going to have another spectacular finish. But, you know, you, uh, you correctly pointed out Charles Oliveira been around for a long time. He's no joke, super skilled, you know, dangerous. So, and if I'm not mistaken, best active win streak with six. Um, the only two people who are technically doing better in UFC right now at lightweight are Tony and Habib. Oh, wow. Yeah. His last loss was to Paul Felder in 2017. And he's put six since then. I mean, here's the thing. Um, with Charles, um, this is going to sound like a weird comparison, but I feel like when you look at the record and when you remember watching him through his journey, it kind of feels like it's the only one. It's kind of like Roxanne Modafferi. You know that Roxy has a lot of skills, great ground game especially, and yet it just seemed like these fighters with a little more pop and a little just some whatever that extra thing whether it was the physicality or you run into a talent. I mean, I think when he fought Max Holloway, Max is still in the middle of becoming the blessed right yeah so you know you got to give a little bit of credit there he fought a lot of guys before maybe they were the biggest you know that guy right things like that but he's always had a fantastic ground game he's developed into quite the striker and you know he's very you know he's just very adept he's a very multifaceted guy he's got a versatile attack um, I think the thing about Charles Oliveira, he just has run into a lot of guys who I think, you know, if not Max, just the physicality. You got some tough guys with a lot of power, um, no slouch in the skill department, especially over the last decade when you talk about the evolution we've seen in MMA. Um, I think those are the guys who have given him problems. And, you know, very simply, Kevin Lee is exactly that kind of guy. He's a guy who's fought at welterweight. Um, he's a guy, you know, like he's always been powerfully built. He's big for lightweight, great grappler, obviously very powerful guy with knockout power and can do damage with his hands. This is a very tough fight traditionally for a guy like Charles. Now, whether it's been matchups, whether it's he's finally just turned a corner his, his career, he's on a great win streak. And you got to take that into account that Kind of like Cowboy Cerrone. It doesn't matter why all cylinders are finally firing. The fact is, they are. And this guy is red hot going into this fight. And he's got great uh, weapons to pose a lot of problems to Kevin Lee. Yeah, he does. And like just looking at his record since since his last his first win after the loss, so that was Clay Guida 2018 June, he hasn't gone past round two. And he's finished all those fights. Um, 
four of them by submission, the last two with uh, by TKO. So that's that's no joke, man. This guy's he's been tearing through uh, through some the uh, MMA fighters right now in the last two years. It's gonna be interesting. I know it's so interesting. I really want to know who you think is gonna win. <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to tell you that? <laughs> okay, uh, the, I'm going Kevin Kevin Lee. Yeah, e- e- even though that's like the question mark. You know, what is he gonna bring new to the table? I think he's gonna um, actually be able to use his wrestling to get like some kind of ground and pound TKO. So I'm gonna go probably second round TKO Kevin Lee. Gotcha. I actually feel the same. I think that it really, um, and I hate to say it so bluntly because I just broke it down, the physicality of Kevin Lee. I think that just wear on Oliveira, try to rip him to the body a little bit. I think that severely is going to chop away at the gas tank. I'm not expecting another head kick knockout. That being said, I think that that was a great uh, reminder that Kevin Lee... If he really wants to just let one rip, he can really chop away at the legs and really hamper the mobility. I think that's very key when you talk about this fight possibly going into the later rounds. I think that um, just stick to that strategy, chop him down early, stay disciplined with your defense. And when you consider the wrestling, I think that that is going to be enough for Kevin Lee to stay ahead in this fight. I do see him putting... I know I said second uh, to agree with you. Uh, you know what? I'm going to stick to that. I think that um, he's just going to find openings over time. And I think he's going to... Even if it's just like wear him down on the ground and soften him up. But I think he gets the finish there. But that's the key. Chop him down early and get him down to do more serious damage. Yeah. I think uh, I think we're on the same page basically. And uh, we shall see. I know. It's always weird to end it, every prediction, right? It's like, well, what else can we do? <laughs> Let's look into the crystal ball. Oh, Natalie, you were right. Yeah, I know. We don't ever come back and rub it in each other's faces. I think we should do some of that, that next that, time. That wouldn't be fun. Then it's like, well, forget you, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Natalie's not here this week. But let me introduce you to my <laughs> other friend who, gets a, who agrees with me. Nah, but um, it's all good. We know who's really picking them right. It's me, by the way. <laughs> no, but um, all right. That is it for this week's show. Next week, we go back across the pond. It's been a minute for UFC London. Tyron Woodley taking on Leon Edwards. A lot of serious welterweight title implications in this one. What are your thoughts as we go into the week? I think I'm very excited to see how Tyron Woodley looks. When's the last time he fought? March. It's been a while, right? And, uh, yeah, I think Kamaru, right. That's right. How could I forget that? And that was, that was hard, man. He, he really, he really got owned. So I expect his confidence to be super high. I expect him to be really hungry and, um, very feeling very strongly that he has to put on a a show, make a statement. So it's not going to be a good night for Leon Edwards is my feeling today, but we'll see how I feel next week after going through all the footage. Yeah, I think the thing that stands out to me about Tyron Woodley is he's openly talked about how, you know, he's kind of turned that corner. Um, I think that the big one, um, you know, I'm trying to think of other fighters just like kind of going back to the power base. He talked about how now he's in, I want to say it's like in Thailand and he's just been training and he doesn't have all the external distractions. 
Remember, this was a guy who was on TMZ. He was doing all the TV shows, Wild and Out, and all these other appearances, the rap album, um, all this stuff. And he, on the outside, it looks like he's taken all the correct steps to make his fighting career the primary focus. Not to say it wasn't, but, you know, maybe when you take out a little bit of noise, maybe a lot more in your mind opens up. And I think that's what he's got going on. So that's very, I think that's a good sign. You're talking about Leon Edwards. You're talking about the big fundamental in the welterweight division. You're talking about a guy on a great win streak. You're talking about a guy who, I think only the only guy who's beaten him in UFC is Kamaru Usman. Take a look at that. Um, this is a very interesting fight. I think that on paper, obviously, we know just how good Tyron Woodley can be. At the same time, you don't get to where Leon Edwards has without possessing a great amount of skills, great amount of weapons. It's not as simple as it looks on paper. And I think that's my final thought going into that one. Okay. All right. But yeah, guys, obviously, wash your hands. Stay safe with the coronavirus. <laughs> be kind to one another and all that positive stuff. Natalie, where can we find you on social media? I'm hanging out on Twitter at Natalie Zamudio underscore and on Instagram at Zamudio Rama. And guys, you can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double and we'll be back next week.